On Sunday morning, when you close your Bible and walk out of the pulpit and everything in you makes you feel like that you are the biggest failure that was ever born, how do you know that you actually were successful in completing the God-given task of preaching? Join us as we talk to Dr. Josh Bice about gauging the success of a sermon, complaints, and criticisms. The music you're about to hear means that you have successfully found the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. No complaints here. Stick around. We believe that only God makes a preacher, but we want to help him be more faithful. This is Verse by Verse, and I'm your host, Pastor Rob Ginter. On the podcast today is Dr. Josh Bice. He's the director of the G3 Conference and pastor of Praise Mill Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia. Dr. Bice, welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you, Rob. As many of us endeavor to be faithful preachers of God's Word. It is a monumental task before us. I'm sure you've experienced the intensity of preparation and the intensity of the moments afterwards, where there are thoughts of failure and a million emotions running through your mind. Help us think through how we can judge the success of our sermons. Rob, that is a really good question. I think that as as it pertains to the preaching of the gospel, I would say that the success of the sermon is all dependent upon whether or not we have been faithful to the text and whether or not we have pleased God in our preaching. So there's an awful lot that goes into the preparation to preach, obviously, but the delivery of a sermon, whether it's successful or not, is not how many amens I get you know, in a sermon when I judge the success of my own preaching, it's not whether or not I've had certain results that are immediate or not, or whether or not people rush to tell me what a wonderful sermon that was at the end of the delivery of that uh, specific sermon. So the way that I would judge it would be to do so in a balanced way. So look back and see, did I rightly handle the Word of God? Did I rightly divide Scripture? Did I use appropriate illustration and application that would drive home the single meaning of that text? Did I seek to interpret that text within its historical, grammatical, and literary context in order to deliver it faithfully? You know, so was that accomplished? And then, once again, when I preach the sermon, the, the way that the sermon is preached will be determined by the actual meaning of that text. Some texts will uh, just naturally be more joyful, obviously. And then there's other texts that are going to be more serious in the sense of God's judgment, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So when you think about the text of Scripture being proclaimed, there's all sorts of layers that need to be evaluated to determine whether it was successful or not. So let me just say it like this. It is possible to rightly divide the text of Scripture and preach the single meaning of the text of the text of Scripture, but yet do so in an unbiblical way because of the motivations of your own heart. And so God is the one who judges whether or not it was preached properly at the end of the day. That brings up a good point. How do you get your heart right to preach the text? Yeah, so I think in the, in you know, if you look at, say, from desk to pulpit or from the text of Scripture and the study time to the proclamation of, the, of that sermon on the Lord's Day, I would say that there needs to be much prayer that goes into the preparation for the preacher. Obviously, you want to avoid mishandling the Word of God. You want to make sure that you are seeking to apply the Word of God to preach to the 
to the people that are actually in the room instead of the church down the road or uh, another group that you might be thinking about. As a pastor, your calling is to actually shepherd souls and to rightly preach and rightly divide Holy Scripture. So I think that there must be a great deal of prayer that goes into that preparation process. So if you're, you know, praying before you read the text, if you're praying through the process of exegeting the text, you, you should be praying before you walk up to the actual pulpit to preach and to proclaim that text. You know, you can talk about Spurgeon and his pulpit ministry, but it was said that he would often repeat as he was walking up to the pulpit, he would repeat over and over and over again, I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. And so this idea of being dependent upon the Spirit of God to preach the Word of God is is key to the success of a sermon. So how do we guard ourselves from external hindrances, whether it be fights with our wife, yelling at our kids, media-saturated brains? Is there something you do or that we should do to guard us from that as we get ready to get up there? Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously every every pastor is going to have a different a different way or a routine on the Lord's Day as far as you know, making his way to the pulpit. And for me, for a long time, in fact, for many years, the way that I've traditionally done that would be that I would do my preparation through the week. And then I get up about 5.30 on Sunday mornings and I read through the text. I pray. I'm making last minute notes and adjustments to my sermon outline. And then I will try to do a PowerPoint presentation. It's just uh, all that is really is just a an outline, a skeleton outline, if you will, of the sermon that will be preached, and then any notable quotations or supporting text of Scripture, I will drop that from my manuscript that's already written, and then I'll put that into that PowerPoint presentation, and that just helps me review and to think through what I'm going to be communicating on that Lord's Day. And then I've traditionally, for many years, I've been coming into the office really early and just being alone so that I can have that time and not have distractions. But then as my children have grown and and, and, and I'm at a specific time where I'm thinking through about how to care for my wife better. So in the last year or so, I've actually been staying at home and doing this process from the, the home office, so to speak. And so I'll still get up early. I'll go through that process, but I'm still able to be there to interact with the children at some level and to assist the family in getting out of the house and making their way to church instead of it being all upon my wife's shoulders. And yet with four children, that's somewhat of a, a daunting task at some times, you know, as far as, you know, everything being placed upon the, the wife's shoulders. So I want to look after my wife and think about, you know, my children and how they're approaching the Lord's day and to think about that carefully. But yet at the same time with four children and yet with two adults, two parents, our house is full of sinners on Sunday morning. And so there's going to naturally be, you know, disputes among the brethren, so to speak. And so you're going to have children that are going to be fighting and, you know, maybe not in their best mood as they wake up and prepare to go to church. And so you're going to have to deal with that. And so we've just got to work through it. And I think just doing as much preparation as you can before you arrive on Sunday morning is the key. You don't want to be so distracted that you're trying to think through an important aspect, maybe the application or the illustration of that text, and yet be distracted by children who are, you know, having a, 
somewhat of a dispute in the living room on Sunday morning. So you want to try to guard against that. I think preparation and preparing early is going to help you in that process. Do you preach from uh, manuscript, outline, no notes? What do you usually take up with you to the pulpit? Yeah, so for me, the way that I typically do is I take graph paper. It's sort of a, a tedious process for me and use usually a good pen with good ink. And I will write notes and all sorts of uh, word studies and, and things out by hand first, and then eventually make my way through that process. The next phase would be I would, I would um, write out the outline handwritten and then with notes in the margin and all of this, you know, just adding sort of a building phase. And then eventually once that process is done, I'm able to look at that, that graph paper and I have a little, a little um, notebook and I'm able to flip back through those pages and I'm able to remember everything that I was writing down. And for some reason, the way that I think a man's brain works is that we're able to recall to memory better that which we've written down by hand rather than just merely typing some. And then once I'm done with that process, I will then move to a Word document where I write things down in an organized fashion. So I take everything that's been handwritten and then I write it down and type it up in a Word document in a more succinct, very uh, clean version, if you will, of that specific sermon. And then at that point, I continue to add and build and add supporting text and add illustrations and the full body of that sermon is then written down in that Word document. And then I will take that after I've sought to memorize that, then I will take that in, uh, on an iPad actually into the pulpit where I can just simply look to the quotations or the supporting text and I can read them and clearly see them appropriately on the pulpit. All right. So you just preached your sermon and doing so, how do you deal with discouragement after preaching? Well, I think that obviously it's um, it's a common thing for pastors to be discouraged. I think we should, and many of us are um, our worst critics, you might say. So we're thinking about the thing that we did the worst rather than the thing that we did the best. At least that's the way that my mind typically works. I think that Spurgeon was one who fought with ongoing discouragement. You can look back through church history and see many of the great preachers would struggle with whether or not they were actually doing what God called them to do and doing it faithfully uh, to the best of their ability and, and doing it well. So they would often look at their own ministry or their own preaching through a negative lens. They would see the glass half empty rather than half full. But yet, I don't think that that's the most healthy way to approach. I think obviously we need to be balanced. So I think that dealing with discouragement would just be this. We should pray and we should say, God, I've sought to the best of my ability to preach this text to your people, to feed the flock carefully. And yet I ask that you would, that you would take this word that's preached and that you would accomplish your will in the lives of your church and just remember at the end of the day that all we are called to do as pastors in, in the shepherding process is to deliver the word of God to the people. We can't actually manufacture results. We can't actually be held responsible for the results. So we need to have an, you know, a proper view of our own selves and our own calling and our responsibilities as a pastor. And I think the discouragement part comes in 
when we think that we're responsible for the results when we're actually not. And this is the case in evangelism or just preaching verse by verse through James, say, on the Lord's Day. You need to be careful to leave the results up to God and you make sure that you are actually preaching that text faithfully and then let God do his work through that text. Absolutely. That's very helpful. So let's say uh, you're not dealing with discouragement. How do you process compliments that you get? Well, I think being married to a faithful wife and having children that love you uh, can help balance out having an elevated opinion of yourself. So if you walk out of the pulpit thinking that you're the next Charles Spurgeon, then you'll probably figure out by the time Sunday lunch is over that you actually aren't because you know, your wife is going to remind you of something that you said that was wrong or that you misquoted something, or your kids might say, dad, don't you remember that you actually quoted the wrong text or you used an illustration in, you know, some inappropriate way or, or something of that nature. And then suddenly you're brought back to, you know, planet reality, so to speak. And so I think another way would be for especially younger pastors would be to just remember all of the texts, all of the, the scripture verses that speak about pride and the danger of pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And just remember all of the examples that we have in scripture, the warnings in Proverbs against being a prideful individual. And so we don't want to have an elevated opinion of ourselves. Uh, if you are the hero of every one of your illustrations in your preaching, then you are going to really offend people and it's going to be, you know, distasteful over time. So the key is to minimize yourself and to maximize God. And then at the end of the day, have a, a very balanced view and a, a very balanced opinion of who you actually are. And then just not be really afraid of, of being who you are in your own skin, so to speak. So don't try to be someone else, be who you are. And yet, don't be seeking to, you know, have this puffed up, haughty, prideful, arrogant spirit about who you actually are. Thank you very much, Dr. Vice. That's very helpful for us as we uh, struggle to get a right estimation of ourselves in a view of a holy God being his messengers. As we kind of shift our conversation, you are the founder and director of the G3 conference. Give us an update of some of the things that are changing and going on with G3 right now. Yeah, Rob, that's a really good question. So we founded the conference in 2013. It has grown well beyond what we ever dreamed it would be. And so here we are in 2020, and we have some really important updates that we were able to roll out at the January conference in 2020. And we talked about the fact that we are now moving to this um, parachurch ministry organizational aspect of the ministry itself. So it's not just a standalone conference, but it's actually G3 Ministries. And yet we will have a national conference now every other year. So we are not doing the annual conference. We're doing the, the national conference will not be every year, but now every other year. And we're also moving from January to October. And so we have a lot of changes that are in place. And we're really excited about our recent announcement about moving from the convention center where we've been over by the airport since 2017. And now we're moving to the heart of the city of Atlanta, right next to Centennial Park. And so we're really excited about what that looks like for families who are coming. They'll be able to enjoy uh, fall weather in Atlanta, Centennial Park, 
all of the amenities and all of the restaurants and all of the things that families can enjoy in the city of Atlanta are within a walking distance, you might say, from their own hotel if they stay uh, there on campus there at the conference center. So we're excited about that. We're also excited about pressing forward with some ideas about regional conferences, smaller venues in strategic cities like Boston or at least New England area, and then in various other places throughout the United States. And so we're going to be making more announcements about that very soon, but we're just really thrilled to see how God has continued to use G3 in the lives of many pastors and church members throughout the world. Yeah, uh, Dr. Bice, as we spoke before the podcast, there is no greater gathering of deep, rich biblical theology in a speaker lineup than at a G3 at the G3 conferences. So I would encourage our listeners who might not be familiar with the G3 Conference, G3 Ministries, to check them out. And how can they do so? Yeah, so we're active on various uh, social media platforms. We have a YouTube channel. We have, uh, again, a Twitter account and Instagram and Facebook, obviously. But you can go to g3conference.com and you can find archives. We have an app uh, that's available for a smartphone as well. And you can find all of the archives of the podcast that we do as well as the conference archives, the teaching archives, and various other uh, aspects as far as the ministry itself and, and upcoming events as far as like the regional events and the national conference, as well as the upcoming cruise this coming January as well. So we're really excited about those opportunities. Join Dr. Josh Bice in the lightning round right after this. Does your church need help with its wireless network? RoadsTech specializes in the design, configuration, installation, and maintenance of wired and wireless networks for your church. Visit us online at www.roads-tech.com. That's R-H-O-D-E-S-T-E-C-H.com. Thank you very much, Dr. Bice. We are now in what we call the lightning round. Uh, and this is a surprise for you, uh, so you didn't see it coming, but I'm going to ask you three questions, and you can respond with one sentence. A fun exercise for expositors and brevity, if you will. <laughs> but uh, so question number one, give us a commentary or theology book recommendation for pastors and preachers? Yeah, so I mean, that would be, I guess, determined on what specific book they were studying. I'm not one to suggest just like you should get this entire commentary set, uh, whereas I would typically recommend a commentary based on what book of the Bible that they're actually studying. So um, if you're studying really any book of the Bible, you could say, well, John Calvin would be good. So you could have his entire commentary series. But if you're going to study, say, the book of Romans, which I'm preaching through right now, you could, uh, I would be happy to recommend several different commentaries. But William Hendrickson would be one that I would recommend. Again, I would also recommend uh, Tom Schreiner and Martin Lloyd-Jones and then Robert Haldane as well. I would recommend all of those as far as the study of Romans. All right. Thank you very much. Question number two. I uh, heard a rumor through Instagram that you are a coffee aficionado. So give us uh, the brand of coffee that you drink or that you drank this morning. Or Yeah, well, I drink Starbucks this morning. I typically do Starbucks coffee, but I do. I, I drank last night. I drank um, with my dad as we were just 
sitting around and having a conversation. Um, we had bulletproof coffee. So um, it's really good. Uh, it's one of the highest caffeinated coffees that you can actually purchase now. So uh, that's a that's a really good coffee as well. And so um, I'm not really a coffee snob, I would say, as, as much as I just really like coffee. So we had a local coffee house um, that I would go to get like a, a French press coffee. But I typically, if I'm just traveling, I will go to Starbucks. And I, I like a blonde roast in the morning, a flat white in the afternoon. I do as well. I do as well. So you mentioned earlier that you handwrite your notes. Do you have a preference in pens? Yeah, so I don't really have, um, I'm not a, a pen snob either, like maybe say uh, Dr. Stephen Lawson or some others might be. I do like to write with a fountain pen. Um, as far as handwriting notes or journaling, um, so I just use uh, a typical fountain pen, um, not in the like five, six, or $800 range more on the lower level. So there's there's one called like uh, Estherbrook is one, and then there's a couple of different others that I've used recently. The type of ink that I typically use would be this uh, bulletproof ink is what it's called. And it's, it's, um, it's a type of ink that is more resistant to smear if you're using a highlighter. So that's helpful for me. But if I don't have a fountain pen, I'm not going to cry about it. Uh, I'm still going to just pick up a pen and just continue to write notes. So I, I can actually function without a fountain pen, like, unlike some of the other guys that I know. But yes, yeah, so that's me as far as pens are concerned. All right. Thank you, Dr. Vice, for joining us on the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Verse by Verse. You can find us online at goversebyverse.com. Join us again for preaching resources to help you become a more faithful expositor of God's Word.